Hi, my name is Rosalind O, oh, and you are listening to True Heroes, the podcast that celebrates the ordinary people with extraordinary missions to make the world a better place one day at a time. This week, I sit down with Eva Fernandez, a superwoman who seems to do it all. She's the co founder of Baby Bank Network, a charity that redistributes pre loved children's products to families that can't afford it to try and alleviate child poverty in her city. She's also a project manager for a sustainable eco village project that is up and coming, trying to build a inclusive and sustainable、uh, way of living and a community based、uh, housing development here in Bristol. And she's also the founder of a local small business that brought organic and fair trade wares to parents in her city. And last but definitely not least, she is also a loving mother of two children and a happy wife. Her mission is to create a systematic change in how we relate to our families, our local communities, and of course, our planet. And I have a feeling you're gonna really appreciate this one if you're someone with that urge to leave behind、uh, you know, an impact and a meaningful legacy in the world with your career, but you're not ha- sure how to balance that kind of、um, desire for social impact with the everyday demands of being a parent, a caregiver, or Any other personal demands, really? How did Eva manage to do it all? You know, listen on and you'll find out. So, enjoy the show. All right, I am so excited to welcome Eva Fernandez, the、uh, project manager for Eco Village Project and also the co founder of Baby Bank Network. Thank you so much for coming to my humble abode. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah.、Uh, It's an impressive recording studio, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> And、uh, of course, for the full picture, we are sitting at my kitchen table. <laughs>、um, yeah, it's, it's, thank you so much for coming and agreeing to do the podcast. I'm so excited to hear about your journey thus far.、Um, and first of all, I must ask you, please, if you could introduce yourself to the listeners. Well, as we were talking about before, there's lots of things that I've done so far and lots of things that kind of led me to where I am now. So, right now, I'm, like you say, I'm project managing the Eco Village project for、um, somewhere in Bristol, or maybe outside of Bristol, or maybe wider. We're not sure yet.、Um, and I'm also the co founder of a charity called the Baby Bank Network, which was set up four years ago. And、um, that's a charity that helps families in need in Bristol. Uh, we yeah, set up because we knew that there was lots of need in Bristol. We've got a very high child poverty rate and lots of people that can't afford to buy basic things for their babies when they have them.、Mm. So, what we do is quite a simple idea. We take used baby things, things that kids grow out of rather than wear out, and then give them to families in need. And we, we use a network of referral partners in the Bristol area, so health visitors, social workers who, who identify the families, and then we give them the things that they need. So that's been very successful. And we've also helped three other branches grow. So, what, what,、um, you know, what I love doing is catalyzing ideas, really, and grounding them. So, getting the idea and saying, okay, how can we make this work? And proving it can work. And then it's just giving that knowledge away to people who want to run with it. So, so、um, you know, we set up the systems and then. We've got three other branches one in Aberdeenshire, which is in Scotland, one in Isle of Wight, and one in Exeter. So,、um, you know, things actually not Isle of Wight, Plymouth, I think, is one in Isle of Wight, which is kind of close to there. So, yeah, so it's,、um, it's growing and it's run mostly by volunteers. 
And it's a collaborative thing, you know. So I think collaboration is definitely the, the way forward. And the Eco Village project is a, is a good example of that as well happening. So collaborating with people to make this, this happen. So, yeah, that, that's kind of who I am, really. I, I like catalyzing ideas and making them, making them happen and grounding them in reality so that and working out the processes to have that happen um, in, a, in a sustainable way and in a way that people want to, want to participate so that they mm. enjoy it and they find it interesting and fun um, rather than a slog, which um, I think people associate more with work than, than fun. And, um, and, yeah, and just sharing that kind of knowledge and those ideas. Perfect. Um, there is one theme that I know you and I have spoken mm. about before uh, last time we met, but I could you kind of define and explain for the layperson what an eco village is? Yeah. So um, basically, if you imagine tribes in the middle of you know countries where they're, they're just invisible, so whether it's in the Amazon or whether it's in Africa or whatever, these people are living sustainably off grid, and you know I don't think any of us would want to go and live like that permanently but some of the elements that they that they have can be sort of updated and brought to to countries like the UK and by that I mean um, housing that's made from local materials and sustainably Mm. built using carbon sequestering materials so whether that's straw whether that's you know recycled old paper or whatever um, as insulation and energy production on site so you have um, solar panels or whatever else battery storage for the energy and water harvesting, um, probably, well, maybe just for grey water, but also for also for, for, for drinking water as well. Um, and also growing food, which is a big mm. thing that I think we're just beginning to realise needs to shift. You know, the whole buying green beans from Africa when we can grow them perfectly well here just doesn't make sense, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I think... We're, we're, it's kind of taken a long time for this country to realise that importing stuff from all over the world isn't isn't good for the planet or good for people necessarily. So let's start growing our own fruit and veg here and and enjoying that. And of course, there's things that we can't, you know, mm-hmm. like coffee and pineapples, and mm-hmm. that's fine. But we don't need to be importing all the things that we could actually grow here. So the eco village um, is based on the permaculture principle, which is you know one one. Uh, processes outputs become another one's inputs so you have this kind of almost circular economy thing going on where mm-hmm. there's, there's very little waste of if anything going to landfill and ultimately that's the idea for to have no waste going to landfill and um and it's a self-contained kind of village really um so there's and there's fantastic tech now that is out there that can enable us to do this in a way that means that living there will be comfortable and and enjoyable and um, yeah, fun, really. That's the kind of main thing. And people would want to hopefully want to live there because mm-hmm. it will also be about community living. So multi-generational um, homes. So you have you know, old people and people with young kids and everyone in between, really, because I, I also think that what we've lost in this culture, I mean, I have a, I have a different cultural upbringing because um, my family's heritage is from Goa and the west coast Ooh. of India. Um, but we also... Prior to coming to the UK, my parents lived in Kenya and were born in East Africa, both of them, and and came to the UK as refugees in 1970. Mm. So, you know, they've got a history of moving around and um, and I've sort of come come with that that sort of cultural heritage where we had grandparents living with us and uncles near nearby and other family kind of involved in our upbringing, really. 
And um, I think it's only since having my own kids, I realised just how important that was and how few people actually get that kind of community upbringing, you know, mm-hmm. and that, and like my mum, as soon as my daughter was born, my mum was there, whereas um, you know, and I, then I learn as as um, I grow older myself, just how many people don't have that like lack of community in their lives, and I just think it's quite sad, really, because every person benefits from that relationship: the, the grandmother, the grandfather, the, the parents, the, the kids. You know, um, so part of this eco village is to is to bring some of that back. You know, whether it's your blood family or not, it doesn't really matter. It's about multi generational living and people sharing their lives and all aspects of that. I mean, that sounds honestly very, very beautiful. Mm. And it's both incredibly innovative and also incredibly common sense. Yeah, it That's is. That's the thing that I love about it. Yeah, and it's almost like, you know, back to the future kind of thing. It's like mm-hmm. taking taking the best of what we know works and upgrading it to the modern tech that we've got. So the houses are all active, passive houses, you know, so they're energy production, energy producing, and and nice places to live. So we're not talking about, you know, um, straw houses that are going to burn down quickly <laughs> and are going to be made with, you know, having to stomp in the ground to, to make you go to cob. You know, it's not that kind of thing. There are some amazing companies, um, especially in Europe, that, that do high-tech passive houses. And so we're going to bring some of that here. And there are companies in the UK that have learned from Europe and, and, are, and are doing that here. Um, and also things like having car sharing rather than mm-hmm. everyone ever having their own car or two, you know, mm-hmm. um, and making the the residential bit car free and, yeah, sharing cars. Because, again, you know, things are... I see that things are changing with that, with the way people um, will buy travel. They won't necessarily need to buy a car. You know, you don't need to buy a plane to go to to, to France or wherever you want to go to fly to. You just buy a seat on a plane. And actually, I I hope that transport will be like that here. So you don't need a car to go, to own a car to go on a trip. You just need a seat in a car to take you there. Mm -hmm. So let's, um, you know, let's see how that's going to pan out. And ideally, the Eco Village will will be doing that as well, having the car sharing. On, on site um you know there's car there's car clubs all over the 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 country and uh, bristol's quite slow in uptake but in the in in london when i was in london i saw car club cars everywhere yeah which is great for sure yeah um it sounds amazing and i also can't wait for it to uh no longer be innovative because it's widespread and everywhere That's yeah exactly and i think yeah. you know it's um the collective consciousness thing you know the hundred monkeys idea have you heard no, of that okay okay so gosh yeah, monkeys. Uh, yeah yeah it's the idea that when um and we see it happen all the time in innovation you know somebody will have an idea and won't they won't have um you know be the, a unique idea and then some and then quite quickly someone else will have the idea and all of a sudden it's like oh yeah that's kind of normal you know so the hundred monkeys thing was um they observed these these monkeys on an island and um one of them discovered that to get honey out of a beehive they could stick a stick inside and then okay. you know, dig out the honey and then the other monkeys observed this and they started doing that and what they found was really interesting is they went to another island which is completely cut off from the first lot of monkeys and those monkeys started doing it. So it's like that information gets into the collective consciousness and then spreads without necessarily being seen by someone, you know. Mm. And it's a bit like that. We all connected on another level and actually that information can then spread um, you know, faster because of that. More people, more monkeys <laughs> that take up the idea, the quicker it will it'll progress. And, I've, and I, I love seeing how science and those kinds of innovations do take off, you know, mm-hmm. and we're seeing it with cars, we're seeing it with energy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully more of that will happen as we 
as and now that people are just thinking more sustainably. I mean, I'm, I've just seen the last couple of years or last year even an amazing amount of stuff happening and people. Um, part of me, part of me, part of me gets a bit annoyed thinking we were talking about that twenty whatever years ago. You know, when I when I um, set up my business, which was in two thousand, as a nursery store on the Gloucester Road, selling washable nappies and chemical free toiletries and things that weren't plastic, and you know, and organic fair trade clothing. It was it was innovative then, but uh, and now people are. St- it's now mainstream that people are talking about that and saying, you know, mm-hmm. don't buy clothes unless you need them. Don't buy single-use plastic, you know. And we were talking about washing usable wash using washable nappies, and and I'm just waiting for that next you know, <laughs> that that leap where people say, yeah, of course we shouldn't be using disposable nappies, a single-use plastic item that we use five or six of a day that costs a lot of money, uses up valuable resources. We just shouldn't be doing that. And I'm hoping there's going to be a massive swell of people saying, yes, let's use washables because they're lovely to use and you know, a nice experience for both mother and baby or parents and baby. Amazing. Mm. So we've touched on all these amazing things um, and so, so many different directions. But as you were alluding to uh, before we started recording, you said that your mission, your maybe your bigger mission in life, perhaps connects um, all of these different passions mm. from your previous business, your current charity, and yeah. also your current amazing Eco Village project that you were working on. Yeah. If you had to summarize all of that into two sentences, sure. I'm giving you a lot of uh, yeah. restrictions on this one. Um, if you could summarize it into two sentences, what would it be? It's creating structural change so that these things don't have to be thought of consciously by people. It's just set up like that. Mm-hmm. that's kind of how I see it you know so um so in everything so you go to any shop and anything you buy will be thought of as sustainable because uh, the manufacturer will have thought of those processes consciously when they're when they're designing and building and creating that thing you know mm-hmm. it's you won't have to search out particular products that already tick those boxes everything will be like that yeah. so um that's so why with the eco village we're building in that infrastructure so that those things are just normal mm-hmm. and not, you don't have to find them out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's me. It's kind of, I see where that future was going to be in say 20 years or whatever. And I'm building <laughs> with that in mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I suppose I see that, um, for, the, for example, Baby Bank Network is, is a sticky plaster fix. It isn't, it isn't a, a fix for the, the, for the fact that we've got child poverty, the fact that, you know, the nursery industry is, incredibly unsustainable mm. um, and markets to people in a very vulnerable time to buy lots of stuff they really don't need mm. so um, my vision is that if those families were living in an in a eco village they wouldn't buy all that stuff because they wouldn't need to um, you know it's almost like people people's vulnerabilities are sold um, are marketed at because they think oh, if I buy lots of stuff I'll be a better parent and that's complete nonsense so, and I also see this whole multi-generational thing really working an advantage to that yeah. because if you have different people going through different phases of life at different yes. times, you can pass it down totally. and it's completely natural instead mm. of um, just associating with people, you know, within five years plus or minus yes. your age bracket and therefore everybody consumes the same thing at the same time and there's a fad and then you move on and then we're wait- left with mm. all this waste. Yeah, but if you have a village, you can naturally pass yes. things down and yes. pass knowledge down and pass support and time down, especially after you retired. And mm. it's just a circle of life, totally. all wrapped up totally. in a beautiful village. Yeah, <laughs> totally. You know, I we shouldn't 
need to farm our old people out to old people's homes and our babies out to nurseries. You know, those old people were really happy to look after those kids, you know, (laughs) and actually benefit from that because their brain, the older person's brain is then working and, you know, participating in the community and the young person is gaining from the knowledge of that old person. So, yeah, that's how villages traditionally operated. And in a lot of cultures still do. You know, I was in Spain last year and I was just observing people doing that, you know, three generations of families out walking the streets and doing life together Mm. Um, and um, this culture seems to have lost that and I thought I find that a real shame you know because they're missing out on on lots of lovely moments it's so true and I think um, I grew up I was fortunate to have uh, grown up with uh, two of my grandparents in the same household Um, and part of that was because we needed to support them Mm -hmm. Um, my parents were financially and kind of also physically supporting them through their eventual illness yeah Um, and not only was their life incredibly meaningful for me to share and it was really useful for me to learn from their life as I was growing up it's a connection to history so Mm. I'm Korean by the way my Korean heritage so my uh, grandparents lived through the Korean war and they could retell those Mm. kind of stories to me which is obviously a a whole nother way of reconnecting to your roots and your history not only that their death was incredibly Mm. educational and meaningful to me and it was such a formative uh, two different moments in my life because I got to share life with them and also see their death yeah. and what it's like to remember and see their legacy living out and all of those things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that formed me as a person yeah. through my uh, childhood and teenage years. And so, I yeah, exactly. We we're just missing out on life and humanity by mm-hmm. um, separating out our generations into buckets. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and I think that is the issue, isn't it? So much of our lives are siloed. We do this over here and we do that for work. We do that for love. And then we, you know, and what I've seen over the, is observed really is people who have a job that they go to, you know, for 40 hours a week or whatever to earn money to then have a life. And actually, mm. for me, your work should be your life. And, 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 and you know, so many people are, I think, are now seeing life like that and they talk about it as um, generation z or x whatever they call it you know um people of who are in their 20s thinking I, I want a job that is of purpose but actually doesn't everyone you know and the <laughs> problem is that there hasn't been there haven't been those jobs and and there still aren't those jobs and I'm looking forward to the next sort of few years when those jobs show up mm-hmm. because there's a lot of stuff that needs fixing and um whether it's you know in our housing or transport or whatever else um, so that we can get to a point where we're living at one with with Mother Earth, you know. Mm. And I see that that's kind of the part of what the eco village is about is about being invisible on this earth, you know. And so my kind of vision of it is that if you're looking at it from above with a heat sensitive camera, you won't see it because, like, you can't see those people in the Amazon, you know. They're just living at one invisibly with the earth, and that's kind of um, my vision for the future and how I, how, you know, I'd like that to be. doesn't mean that you can't go and do other things and have fun and, you know, entertainment and all the rest of it, but actually the, the core of your life needs to be at one with, with the earth. And I think also people being okay with themselves because right now I think a lot of people aren't, which is a real sadness, I think, you know, because they're, expectations that they've given themselves are based on unrealistic images on Mm. social media or advertising or whatever you know and I think that is slowly shifting which is great to see but um yeah so so I think things are moving faster than anything at the moment which is which is great 
Um, it sounds like you were someone who was both who right now is waiting mm-hmm. for the shift to happen and also anticipated a little bit of the shift happening. And mm-hmm. you, uh, from the very beginning, seems like you had your kind of job and your purpose aligned, or you tried to align it as much as possible. So I want to bring this back a little bit to you yeah. and your journey, how you got started mm-hmm. um, with your business, then charity, and now you're also your second yeah. charitable project. Um, how did you get here? Okay. What's the origin story? So, yeah, <laughs> so um, I suppose culturally, again, going back to my parents, you know, we always, um, you know, had home-cooked food um, and my dad was is, was the main cook, cook in our house, you know, Ooh. not my mum because he had, he as a, as a teenager, he learned to cook because he was in India at the time and was, um, was, was orphaned at quite a young age and had to mm. kind of fend for himself. So he ended up being a cook, cook in, in Bombay for um, people's weddings and things like that. So he just knew how to cook better than my mum. You know, my mum's a good, <laughs> good cook as well, but he just did that in the house. So that for me was normal, you know, having a, a parents that just shared responsibilities. And and um, uh, and they were very much of, you know, don't waste stuff and just, you know, my dad was carrying carrier bags to the supermarkets and I remember him doing that, you know, and that was just kind of normal, even though he could have got plastic bags for free. He just did that. Um, and I, and also... Um, one so picking up things to recycle like we had years ago before any there was any recycling we used to have ring pulls on cans I don't even remember they'd come off the cans <laughs> um so you'd have a, a can of well of pop or whatever and the can ring pull would actually come oh, off oh yes yes so um, a friend of mine about, at yeah. school had a had a collection for these because they were car- collecting aluminium for to raise money for a charity and so I was like great that's an opportunity for me to get give these can pools to somewhere but then I'm thinking what's what about the rest of the can you know and then Blue Peter had some sort of scheme do you remember Blue Peter probably not it's like a kids program that used to be on and um, they were collecting aluminium so I was like hey I want to do that and and then again at school I remember watching a video um, in geography about open cast mining in Ghana well, they were digging bauxite out of the ground for aluminium. And I was looking at this thinking, this is ridiculous. You know, what on earth are we doing? Digging holes in the planet to get metal out when we could be recycling it and doing far less of that. So it just obviously tr- it just triggered me. And, and, and I think I was obviously aware of those things for some other reason. But um, um, so, yeah, I've always kind of had this interest in, in not plundering the planet I suppose mm. and um I think when we kind of connect to the energy of the earth we see that she's just kind of fed up of it you know <laughs> really do you know it's like for god's sake you are you know and and I also see it in that we are kind of um representations of that not me personally but all of us are so if we're not respecting ourselves how are we going to respect the earth you know mm. and feeding ourselves poisonous foods and and not caring about how those things are produced um of course we're not going to care about whether we you know rape and pillage our, our mother earth which is kind of what we're doing so it's like it's taking care of ourselves and taking care of the earth are the kind of symbiotic things aren't they mm-hmm. so um yeah so it's for, for me you know being aware of of what i eat and my health and taking care of that and preventative measures to make sure that i'm healthy and resilient and you know bounce mm. back and also um yeah those things just make sense so for me you know, doctors are places to go to to get a diagnosis and then I mm-hmm. go elsewhere to get treatment if I need to so mm-hmm. I'm a great believer in complementary health care mm-hmm. and as um 
And one of the biggest things of complementary or preventative healthcare is breastfeeding, for example. Mm -hmm. So I'm a real passionate advocate of breastfeeding, uh, not just because it's food, but also because of all the other health benefits and hormonal benefits for both mother and and baby, all of of that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, and if you think of Mother Earth, her food is is natural grown food, you know, Mm -hmm. which aren't treated with pesticides and all the rest of it. And we should just be thinking of, of our food in that way as well, you know, making sure that it's healthy and natural and not grown with um, loads of pesticides from plants that have been GM modified, all those kinds of things just don't make sense. Just leave her alone, you know, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So leave things alone and get back to how they should be, how naturally things happen rather than being interfered with. And then is it a fair kind of connection for me to make or kind of assumption for me to make to assume that um, your motherhood, and your parenting journey mm-hmm. has been a big influence totally. on your on your yeah. work. And can yeah. you kind of explain to me? Um, yeah, because first of all, I'm not a mother mm-hmm. yet to be. I'm yeah. really excited to be eventually, but not yet. Yeah. Um, I am really curious about how that actually influences and uh, brings your work forward. Because I mm-hmm. think a lot of um, young professionals and especially professional women can look at childcare and motherhood as a detriment or like a barrier in their career right but you've actually I feel it sounds to me it's been a really well symbiotic relationship between your parenting your your motherhood and Mm. your work how has that influenced and all worked together yeah so um firstly I think culturally as well you know being a, a mother is part of what you do you know you kind of get to an age and then you think about having kids and you you have them it's not the career isn't the sort of central focus for you know culturally just isn't having kids is you know <laughs> and um and I think we've kind of and again as an observer with you know one foot in my cultural um heritage and one foot as you know married to an English person who's grown up here and you know and, and, edu- and I've been educated here mm-hmm. and one foot in seeing how that system works and actually um you know when I when I had my daughter we moved to Bristol and my husband's from Bristol. So I moved to Bristol to be with him and to, because we knew our life was going to be better quality mm-hmm. of life um, rather than in London. And I didn't, and I didn't want to also put my child into childcare so that I had mm. to work to pay a mortgage. It just didn't make sense to me to, to, to do that. So, um, so we, we, we actually bought a house that was, and was helped by my parents to do that. And it meant that we didn't have, to, I didn't have to work, you know, I could mm. be at home with her. Um, and I got into what I did because when I, when, when we moved here, we didn't have a lot of money, you know, and funnily, I kind of think if we had had baby bank network, when I had had my daughter, I probably would have been one of the recipients, mm. but, but I had my sister actually who had a, a baby sort of 11 months earlier. And so I had lots of hand-me-downs from her. Um, so, um, it was looking at nappies, disposable nappies and thinking these are going to just cost a fortune, you know, and I worked at how many hundreds of pounds it would be, looked at how much washable nappies were going to be. And, you know, I think at that time, the Women's Environmental Network were doing a real nappy campaign stuff. So, um, yeah, just found that there weren't, weren't, there weren't great alternatives in the shops. There were some mail order companies, but not great alternatives. So that um, that journey of discovering what I was going to do with my daughter in regards to her to her nappies and cost savings um, and environmental impact led me to to start a nappy campaign, mm-hmm. which um, I then um, enrolled to the washable nappy companies that were going at the time. Went and saw someone at the Create Centre who was doing a, a who was um, director of the recycling campaign and reuse campaign in Bristol. Got some funding and started talking about nappies. 
Mm. And then realised through going to do all these talks, antenatal classes and whatever, that uh, other people were just in the same boat as me. They didn't know any different either. Mm. Um, needed to find them, find where to buy them. And then ended up, I ended up opening the shop with my sister. But again, did it did it on a part-time basis. I mean, I say part-time in, in that the number of hours I was in the shop were part-time, but obviously I did lots of work at home and whatever. And managed to to do that with with a two year old. Um, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I suppose. Um, but maybe I'd, in hindsight, I think, God, you know, what was I doing? But at the same time, it was it was fun. It wasn't work, you know. It mm. wasn't work. I was really passionate about it and enjoyed doing it. Um, but you know, still managed to to breastfeed her till she was three. And when you get past the kind of six month thing, or actually first year, I suppose it was. And I and the reason I continued because I had the support of great people in Bristol from the Lecce League and my antenatal yoga teacher Dominique she I remember when she brought her her daughter into the class at the end of the class she her her husband would bring her daughter in and, and I saw her feeding this sort of 18 month old child thinking oh my gosh you know she's really big but I thought well you know that was great to see that because I hadn't really seen that before I'd seen mm-hmm. breastfeeding mums and again that was another thing that really shocked me when I had my daughter and then other and talked to other women in the shop was that lots of women hadn't held a newborn baby until it was their own and that was quite shocking to me because mm. you know again culturally we had babies around from family friends and things and so people so lots of women are disconnected from that maternalness around them they don't see it they don't observe babies breastfeeding they don't know um, how that happens you know the fact that the babies needs to be with them 24 7 for the first few weeks of their life things like that so they kind of resort to books and um, things like that and if their own mothers haven't had that experience themselves because they had books and they were listening to Dr Spock or whoever else um, telling them to do three-hour feeds then they won't have that instinctively in them mm-hmm. so um, I get a little bit annoyed when we talk about instinctive mothering because they say oh, you know if you just well, some people will say, if you just kind of be instinctive about it, you'll know what to do, but not if you've not had it, mm. you know? So I was quite fortunate in that my mum did do that with me because again, culturally, you know, in India, you have your baby, you have a baby moon, you're looked after by your mother mm. and other aunts and you are, your focus is on just being, just being there to feed your baby. You get massaged, you get fed, you get watered, everything you're looked after, you know? Um, so the concept of the baby moon is something that, it's quite relatively new in this culture, but I think mm-hmm. people are still still are getting used to the idea. The other thing, of course, is um, we spend a lot of time and energy focusing on a nursery and getting that room right for the baby. And actually, baby has no idea and doesn't care about having a nursery. <laughs> and it's just a waste of money in my, my, uh, my eyes. You know, so we co-slept with our kids um, and... That's kind of how you, you do it in Asia and India and Africa, don't you? You just sleep with your babies because that's where they need to be and that's the most convenient thing. So, um, yeah, so, <laughs> I don't know if I've answered your question, but so those kind of things, again, that's a very sustainable way of living with your baby because you don't buy cots, you don't buy furniture and all these kinds of things for a baby that really can't see them anyway. Who is that for? It's kind of a show, really. It's not, gonna, it's not more convenient because the most convenient thing is to not get up in the night, just have your baby in with you, roll over to your, on your side and attach your baby and carry on sleeping. You know, and there'd be times when I'd wake up thinking, did I feed or not last night? Because you just kind of do it and you mm. kind of, sleep level rather than being awake you know nothing could be worse than having to get up and go and make a bottle and whatever so yeah (laughs) so it does it does kind of inform sustainability as well because actually breastfeeding is the greenest food you can get really that is definitely true yeah 
I mean, oh, I'm trying to remember. Um, I think it was Ali Wong, the stand-up comedian, who was talking about, you know, I didn't breastfeed for sustainability or for health reasons for anything. I did it because it was cheap. Mm-hmm. If your body was a food-making factory, yeah. you had free food coming out of your body. Yeah. Why not use it? Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought it was the funniest thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And it is. But it's also you know, just so much more convenient. Yeah. <laughs> and again, the health benefits for the baby and the mother. And, and you know, we, again, it's only recently that we start talking about oxytocin and people mainstream people talking about the, the effect of having a hug and how important that is you know for oxytocin levels but for a baby who was born with that surging through them to deny them of it by putting them separately it's just kind of cruel almost you know mm. and the benefits of the mother and, and the father as well by just being in that oxytocin bubble is huge and I think one of the things that always fascinates me is when people have a new baby people want to come around and get a bit of an oxytocin fix they're not consciously doing that but actually that's mm. what they're doing they're getting this this fix of that baby it's kind of on a pheromonal level you know that you, you pick it up and um but actually you just want to keep that to yourselves mum and dad <laughs> um, and the more interference you get the more you you kind of um, impact impact on that relationship I think and on all of this kind of exciting you know all the different journey that you've had and I'm sure your daughter is older than two years yeah, old yeah. For now um and perhaps that gives you a bit more time and freedom and you're also mm-hmm. of course exploring this uh, awesome new eco village project uh which as you were speaking about you know is an extension of your philosophy about how to be with the earth how to be with the community how to be as a family mm-hmm. all of these things it's an extension and expansion of your philosophy where do you want to go next well, the eco-village has very much been planned. You know, we, in terms of we would look, I've spent the last couple of years speaking to potential builders, architects, you know, energy providers, um, not necessarily saying, yes, we're going to use you because things change, are changing so mm-hmm. rapidly that by the time we get to the point of wanting to put energy panels or solar panels, there might be some other tech, you know, and, and actually, apart from these, these kind of things, I'm also really interested in, in, in science and what science is developing and things like, you know, quantum energy generation, all these kinds of fascinating things that are happening, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, in a few years time, we might have some other devices that will take over from from solar we just don't know yet but there's people that are working on these and I find that kind of fascinating so anyway going back to um what's next the it's actually finding some land and I say finding there is land out there we just have (laughs) to we just have to um we just have to but it's networking to to come across someone that has can get enrolled with the vision that we have and says, yeah, actually I've got this piece of land. You know, there might be a, might be a farmer who has a massive, you know, few hundred acres of land and is quite happy to give a, give 50 or 60 to, to our project to do this because, um, because it's perm- based on permaculture and because it's regenerative, actually you can get more yield out of doing what we're, we want to do than just leaving that for some sheep and cows to graze on. Um, so yeah, the idea of doing this and, and being the pioneers to do it, I think, will be appealing to someone. And when uh, on a very tentative timeline, mm. when could we expect to see an eco village? Yeah, well, if we if we get some land, 
well, when we get some land, not if, you know, when we get the, uh, the um, I suppose I'm, we're looking for land guardians. So people that, mm. because no one owns land anyway, do they? Mm. You know, it's all this kind of, no one owns anything anyway. We're just kind of guardians of stuff, you know. So a land guardian that is willing to do this and, and not, but not in a kind of, oh yeah, I'll give you some, but someone who wants to participate and say, yeah, you know, I'm really up for this and I really see this as something that I want to do on my land. And when we find those, those people, then it will be quite quick because... Okay. The, um, the, there, like I said, we've got a couple of architects that I know we could use straight away who would be able to plan it. And that's their skill set. You know, they've done mm-hmm. these kinds of things on small projects, but taking that and, um, and borrowing from the likes of, um, the regen people in, in Stanford in the USA who've kind of got this kind of blueprint for how it would be, but then tweak it for the, for the environment that we're going to be doing it in, you know, whether it's um, what kind of topography you have and all those kinds of things need to be taken into account. So yeah, producing the designs won't be, won't be a long process and then getting it built because of the kind of tech that we're using. It might be offsite build. It might even, it might be onsite build, but using builders that have developed tech over the year that make it really simple to build passive houses. And for, uh, to kind of imagine, for the listeners to better imagine what this would be, can you give a bit of a description, how many houses? Um, I know you've talked about Mm -hmm. some of the features of the place, but you know, how many people could expect to be living together? Yeah. So this is one of the things that we, as a group, because we're kind of, we're a community-led group. So, um, you know, people who potentially would live there, but also people who just want to see it happen, you know. So I'm not attached to living there. I'd like to, but actually, you know, I <laughs> I may not. Um, so uh, there is some evidence that says that when you get over, say, 150 people, things kind of break down and people don't know one another so well. Um and so what we what we're looking at is whether we do hubs of say you know fifty or so homes um, that then that connect to other hubs of mm-hmm. say another fifty. So you maybe have like three hundred, but in, in hubs, but you still would have like a central space where you have um, a big space for community meals and things like that. So a big part of this is the sharing of stuff, you know. So we don't all need to have um, whatever. It's not going to be. People might have a little bit of their own garden, but actually most of it will be communal spaces. So tools, for example, you know, no one, not every home needs to have a drill, you know, stuff like that, or even food processing. You know, you don't mm-hmm. use those machines every day. So there'll be the ability to share those things and have them in sort of libraries where you can just go and use those things. Um, so number of people, if we did it kind of based on the regen idea, which is the Stanford, Stanford idea, then we might have about 350 to 500 homes. And um, or that could be broken down into hubs that you just build one hub and then you build another and then you build another until you kind of think, right, that's as much as the land will, will hold. Or um, I mean, but ideally, you know, you want to do this so that things just kind of grow and it becomes they are self-sufficient. Um, James Ehrlich, the guy from Regen, will call them lily pads, you know, so they're kind of self-sufficient mm. pads that are just connected in some way that allows us to 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 move from one to another as well because another big part of this which i haven't spoken about is affordability so you know the, the housing market is kind of crazy in this in this country and um what i find interesting is that the government talks about the need for lots of new homes um and actually if we did all that and everybody had a home then house prices would would decline or or just at least stay static because there's a supply and demand thing at the moment so the vision of this is that we don't sell homes, people rent them. 
and the rent will be affordable, but not based on what the government decides is affordable, but really affordable. And we can do that because we're not selling the homes. What will happen is you might we will have an overall mortgage for the whole project, and then um, that will be funded by. And there's plenty of people that will give us the money. We we know that we can get the money for this project. It's not that's actually the easiest part getting the money for it. Um, so, for example, if it was a pension fund, they will lend however many millions for quite a long period of time because if you've got a pension fund, you might be paying into it for 60-odd years. So actually the pension investors are looking at long-term loans, which can be up to 99 years. So if that money is available for a long time, a, a decent interest rate, then the, the repayments are not going to be massive. Mm-hmm. And then that money, um, some of it, you could actually say, well, some of that money is going to go back into project regeneration so if the mm-hmm. if after 10 years you need to redecorate and all those kinds of things that houses need you know then then great we'll have the money to do that but the the, the thing is if you've got someone who's come from a house that they've owned and say i want to i want to live on this project but i want to buy my house and you say well no you can't buy your house but what you can do is you can buy a share of the project so you can invest your however many hundreds of thousands you've got into the project get the interest rate that the that the overall lender would be receiving and that can pay your, your rental money, you know. So you're actually allowing people to invest in, in, a, in a slice of it rather than saying, this is my house and, you know, that, that I own. And also what that allows is, is for flexibility of movement. Mm. So if you start off as a single person and then you, you, you know, get a partner and you have kids and your one-bedroom studio flat or whatever isn't going to suffice, then you can move easily within the village to, to a bigger home. And then in 20 years' time, you might want to downsize again. And it's not easy to do that now. Mm-hmm. So um, the idea is that that will be simpler as well. Because again, we're living in a gen- with generations, you know, your generation and my daughter's generation, who don't want to commit to something for however many years. They're not yep. to jobs and not to living places. They want to travel. I mean, I'm a bit like that. I want to travel. I don't want to commit to living somewhere. Um, you know, I'm, I have committed because I've had kids and whatever. But now that they're older, I'm thinking, okay, a couple of years' time, son's going to be 18 where am I going? You know, it might be to the eco village, it might not. But mm. I see that as if there are lots of these all over the, the place, the flexibility to move and do stuff will be, um, yeah, will be there. And it isn't right now. I personally am just absolutely excited and also find everything that you're speaking about um, incredibly useful and also educational because it also aligns really well with kind of what I eventually want to do in life, mm-hmm. um, which is more so directly engaging with existing cities and trying to change them to be more sustainable and inclusive. Um, and I love your view on housing and this uh, really innovative way of funding and um, equitably sharing equity. Mm-hmm. Huh. Love, love my little pun there. Sorry, <laughs> had too much fun with the pun. Um, but I, I love it. Uh, and I feel like there's a um, overdue conversation that we got to have outside of this podcast. There would be yeah, lots the, of things. The to idea talk about. of that finance is just my idea. You know, we haven't we haven't worked out how that will work in terms of the financial modeling, and 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 because it hasn't been done before, that gives us a blank canvas to do it. But it's also quite exciting because you can think, okay, how can we do this so that people, you know, so we've got a house that is worth however many hundreds of thousands, but we can't access that money. It's just sitting there in this house that we may access if we sort downsized or we die and then our kids access it, you know, and it's kind of crazy that we live like that. And so we haven't got the money to do great things with, mm-hmm. to, to, to buy better food, to, to travel, to 
you know, because sustainability at the moment costs more than the cheaper versions, which mm-hmm. shouldn't be like that. So, you know, ultimately I'd like to, like to be a level playing field where everything is like that. But until then we're in this transitionary period, aren't we? Until we kind of have those structures in place. Um, and we need money to do that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And the, the less of it that goes on rent or more mortgage, the more you have to, to spend on and good things and enjoy your life as well. Awesome. I mean, yeah. yeah, and affordability, I feel like, is often the missing um, missing elephant in the room that we like to ignore when we're talking about mm. positive impact and sustainability. Yeah. And it can't be that way because, you know, yeah. it's the elephant in the room. Yeah. Well, it, it's a major elephant because I, I saw it with the nursery industry. You know, so the, the brands that we were selling in the, in the shop were premium brands. Mm-hmm. And of course, I always go by the buy once, buy well kind of concept, whether it's pushchairs or clothes or whatever, or my clothes as well. But actually, we, we live in such a throwaway world and it's kind of like, you can't carry on like that. You know, we just can't. So um, yeah, but, but, but I understand how kids or people who aren't on decent salaries because if you're living on minimum wage you cannot afford to buy premium quality food and and clothes that has been farmed sustainably and has been made in fair trade situations so you know yeah affordability is an issue and and like I said going back to the nursery industry I um you used to go to trade shows and just want to cry because like 95% of the stuff that was in those trade shows was just built for landfill you know and that's just awful really awful when it needs Mm. to change you know um so I kind of the way I see it is that those companies will 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 change because they feel morally obliged to or they'll change because no one buys this shit (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. actually that's where I I, the next sort of phase for me is 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 guiding people to not buy that stuff you know if if um we just stopped buying it they just would fail those companies, wouldn't they? They'll change or die, basically. And if mm-hmm. they don't change, then they'll go away and hopefully that gap will be filled by someone that is more sustainably minded and does things that way. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of watching that play out as well because I think it will be interesting to see if companies get on board and, and make those changes, you know, the big ones, the big six, however they are. Um, they, they, they say, actually, we have to do something and not just greenwash people by saying, have a refillable pouch for your antibacterial spray that you never need in the first place you know <laughs> or, or actually do do the right thing mm-hmm. but then you know the thing about it is if all those companies did fail there'd, there'd, there'd be a massive gap right now because there aren't the companies to fill that space right now they mm-hmm. are they're coming up and there's a lot of in the fmcgs you know fast moving consumer goods area there is a lot of that but um you know there are gaps in cars in in housing and all those kind of areas that will be the new jobs in the next few years, I think, which is exciting. Yeah, that is all very, very exciting. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm just about coming yeah. near the end of our allotted time. So I'm going to have just pose uh, the last couple of questions at you. And the, you know, after listening to this talk in this interview, if people feel super inspired and super excited, what do they do now? Um, everybody from a, someone like me who is single professional, um, or as someone who is a mother or someone who's a retiree, you know, what is, what is an average listener do 
if they want to get on board with your mission. So for example, for the Eco Village, you mean, or whether they want to, yeah, they Whatever. might want to volunteer at Baby Bank Network, you know, anything like that. Um, I mean, my personal email is probably the best way to get hold of me because I do wear lots of hats and that's the one that I do check the most. Um, so I've got only one for the Eco Village, one for Baby Bank, but actually, um, yeah, my personal email address, which is just Eva Fernandez and the digit one at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and you probably type my name so we won't know how to spell that. Um, yeah. Yeah, because... Uh, there's lots of things that I'm kind of juggling with and lots of things, but there's fundamentally about sustainability and that, like you say, you know, being at one with the, the planet and just treading lightly. Um, so yeah, that's the best way to get hold of me, I suppose, via email. And what can, and so I will definitely put mm-hmm. that in the show notes um, so that people can reach you. Um, and what can the average person do? Just it, how can they change their behavior or get involved with things that are available to them to um, have a lighter footprint on Mother Earth and also, you know, to hold, um, to live in healthier communities and healthier ways? It's, it's an ongoing thing, isn't it? And I think it, Right now, how I see it is, is where you spend your money, mm. you know, so all the choices you make every day, whether it's which can of drink you have or or don't have, you know, all of those things make a difference. So, um, so for example, you know, I, I don't drink and I wouldn't, don't, I try not to tell, I told my children not to drink drinks that have artificial sweeteners in, especially aspartame, because I just do not like that stuff not because it doesn't taste nice but because I just do not want that stuff in my body or theirs and so you know it's that kind of very fundamental choice that you make when you're having when you're buying a can of drink do you buy that one or do you buy one that doesn't have it in because when you are buying the ones with that stuff in you're supporting an industry mm-hmm. that is you know huge and massive and destructive or do you not do you buy one that is maybe a, a more local company that uses sustainably sourced ingredients and that kind of thing so it is about where you where you put your money because you know it's where that ends up and um then one of the things that i'm um going to get involved with is there's an organization called sustainable bubbles it's just a one man band at the moment but it's about that you know where do we put our money and how how much of a difference can that make moving forward because cumulatively the more of us that do that the bigger the impact mm-hmm. um and we you know we're beginning to to learn about that and so um you know i think it's about making those choices not to say um don't buy something because we do need to eat and we do need to clothe ourselves but actually make those choices responsibly so choose very carefully the kind of companies that you are buying your clothes from or you are buying your meat from for example um and your vegetables from because then then you're cumulatively we're all making an, a bigger impact aren't we mm-hmm. so that's the basic thing we can do just be just be aware of where we're putting our money amazing um yeah and i have one final question mm-hmm. before i send you off and uh if you've listened to one of my episodes mm-hmm. this won't come as a surprise if you haven't it will come as a surprise because i didn't tell you about this uh one last question it is you, uh, you know that the title of the podcast is True Heroes. Mm-hmm. And I've invited you here as a true hero. Mm-hmm. Do you think of yourself as a hero? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I don't know, because I see myself as as a mother, fundamentally, who is is creating a, a, a future for my kids and my grandchildren that haven't yet been born, you know, and what does that future look like? I have a kind of vision of what that looks like. And so the steps I'm taking are all aligned with that vision. 
And um, so I'm, I'm just kind of facilitating and making that happen. And do I see myself as a hero? Not really. I just see myself as, you know, being here on this mission, as you call it, you know, to, to do that and to help bring in this new earth that we that we're all kind of transitioning to at a, I wouldn't say faster speed, because I think it's kind of happening anyway, mm-hmm. but just to, to, to be part of that, of that kind of party really of collaborators <laughs> that are doing it and making it happen. And Amazing. Yeah. So you see yourself as a mother and a partier more than a hero. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends how you define party. You know? but I, I, I love, when I'm, you know, my joys is talking to people that are in on that same wavelength, you know, and connecting with those people and talking about these ideas. I mean, and, and I, you probably know, Ruth, when you're talking to someone, when you, if I talk about eco villages and, and, and they kind of start looking past me, mm. then it's like, okay, it's, it's not because you think that I'm, what I'm doing is stupid, it's that you're just not there, you know, and actually there's nothing wrong with that. It's, and, I, and I get that, you know, same with when I used to talk to people about washable nappies. Some people just are passionate about it and love it. And there's a whole community of mums that are passionate and cloth wearing, you know, baby cloth wearing nappy babies and they love it. And, you know, and there's more of that. And that's what I love, the fact that there's more of this kind of, these kind of conversations going on. The fact that, you know, period pants and moon cups and all these kinds of things are now mainstream. It's just fantastic. So that's the kind of joy and enthusiasm and partying that I, that I like, <laughs> you know, not necessarily the um, going out and getting drunk kind of partying, just the, 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 the zest for life, you know, and enjoying the things that um, Mother Earth has to offer us and being in nature and those kinds of things, that kind of party, yeah, just kind of food for the soul, really. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And that's the party that I want to be at too. So <laughs> perfect. Um, thank you so much, Eva, for coming. All right. How was that? I know that I am so excited and also inspired by Eva and the amazing insights that she shared and also the amazing work she's doing in her own city. If you also feel the same inspiration, you can learn more about Baby Bank Network at www.babybanknetwork.com. If you want to reach out to Eva directly to get involved in some of her work with the Eco Village Project or anything else really, you can shoot her an email at eva, E-V-A, and dot Fernandez1 at gmail.com. And Fernandez is spelled F-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-S and one as in the number one. Of course, please subscribe to True Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. And please share the link on your social media and tell all of your friends who are in a bit of a rut and would really benefit from a weekly dose of inspiration. Come on, more people need to learn about Eva and people like her and the amazing work that you can do. This podcast is brought to you ad-free by yours truly. And if you enjoy the show, please help me out a little bit by rating the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you really can leave a rating. And you can also leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. That's always great fun. And I will be starting up a Twitter account for True Heroes very, very soon so that you can directly share our posts um, on your socials. And of course, this podcast is a brainchild of OCO, the company whose mission is to generate hope, opportunity, and capacity for everyone in every city. Thanks for lending an ear to True Heroes. Talk to you next week.